All right, I think that we got this thing going. It's interesting right now because in Montana, it is very hot, very, very hot. Today, it's probably, I would say, 85 degrees, which uh, for this time of year is uh, a little bit out of the ordinary. Uh, And with that comes some issues with technology, apparently, because I'm not sitting in a studio. I'm not sitting in a nice climate-controlled room. I'm actually sitting out on my back deck underneath an umbrella in the sunshine and uh, wanted to switch things up this time. You know, I had an idea. My idea was, what if instead of recording in the same place that I do every time, which is typically looking out this beautiful uh, alcove um, from my house, looking out into the front yard, what if I just switch it up every so often, try different places, see if I can gain some new insight or, you know, just switch up my environment a little bit. You know, I talk about this all the time in coaching, but like one of the biggest ways to draw new forms of inspiration or, uh, you know, or just excitement for things is to change your environment, whether that means like, I don't know, changing, uh, you know, the, 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 the your surroundings or maybe it means like auditing different parts of your environment, like your distractions or your options or your choices, things like that. So I just thought maybe I'm going to come out here today. So here I am sitting on my back deck, trying to stay cool, drinking some cold water. And uh, yeah, just really excited to be here with you today. You know, I'm looking over at, uh, you know, I'm on the back deck right now. So I'm looking over at this hot tub project. And uh, I don't know if any of you have... um, been watching my stories or if you're new here you know I'll just kind of quickly talk about this thing Uh, I've got this hot tub and (laughs) this thing is like I don't know 19 years old something like that it's an old hot tub Um, it was the one that we bought when I say we I mean my mom it was the one that my mom bought when I was like a freshman in high school and at that time my grandmother had passed away and she had left a small inheritance to my mom And my mom thought, well, why not use that money to be able to make memories with the kids? So, her and I went downtown, we picked out this hot tub, and it's been in our family ever since. And I've had countless memories using it from the times I was in high school to college and and even after. But, for the past two years, this hot tub has kind of just been sitting stagnant. And so my mom called me a couple of weeks ago and she's like, hey, you want that hot tub? And I said, uh, you know, what's going on with it? And she kind of shared some things. And I thought, you know what? I would like to have it because, you know, what, what, a, what a cool thing it would be to kind of like carry on the tradition of this, have it at my house, still be able to take care of it, still be able to use it. So uh, <laughs> needless to say, Rasta Ranch has another project, which, by the way, is probably going to be the the main topic of conversation today which is you know the happenings at rasta ranch and things that i've been doing here and not just to kind of like brag on you know what i'm doing and all these fun things but but really to share the insights to share the lessons and things that i've learned over the past i'd say 16 months of owning property in the mountains out in the country because I've learned so much and I feel like a lot of the things that I've learned can really be paralleled to a lot of the things that we have going on in life and so we're going to kind of share some of those things Um, but uh, 
if as we go through this conversation you start hearing you know random things like i don't know birds or dogs or uh you know whatever just know that it's just because you know i'm i'm outside and i'm enjoying nature today so you know as we get into this um if you're on the treadmill or if you're in the gym or if you're in traffic you know just kind of make some mental notes on these things and and see how you can apply them to your own life but you know if you're sitting down like i am right now maybe just jot some notes out or you know maybe take some notes on your phone or whatever it is but i think that you're going to get a lot of value out of this episode and and i just really appreciate you for being here so let's uh let's let's zoom out let's like zoom way way out for a second okay and what we're zooming out on is my neck of the woods and what i mean by that is montana okay so we're, we're looking and thinking about montana at the moment and this is important that i share with you because it kind of sets the stage for everything that we're going to talk about here in a bit so if you zoom out on montana for a second and you just think about montana as a whole all right there's a lot of history in montana in regards to the native tribes, to the white and European settlers from as early as the the 1700s on into the 18s and 19s to what it is today. You know, there's a lot of it. But if we zoom in a little bit more and we zoom in on my section, my area of, of Montana, which is in the northwest part of the state, we start looking at the the town that I live in and the mountain range that that I live in, which is all, you know, in the northwest part. I live in this really small town. All right. I don't even know if you call it a town, to be honest with you. It's more like a uh, <laughs> it's more like a it's more like a village because there really isn't a ton of people here. But I live in this in this really small little area tucked back in the mountains, probably, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes from town. Now, I live in this place called Kyla, all right? K-I-L-A. It's not Killa. It's not Kila. It's Kyla. And I've got that so many times from people, and it drives me crazy. So, if you ever want to know, it's pronounced Kyla, all right? Now, think about this for a second. Montana has this really rich history of Native people, right? I just mentioned that a second ago. In fact, here's the cool thing. Archaeological evidence dates back over 12,000 years ago and shows that native people have been living in this land ever since. It's pretty cool, right? Here's another fun fact. The oldest dated human burial site in North America was located in 1968. Guess where? Montana. The oldest human burial site in North America was found in Montana. So we got a lot of history here, not just with the native people, but also with the dinosaurs, all right? All of the Tyrannosaurus rexes and the platypus rexes and all the the <laughs> all of the all of those dinosaurs, they all lived here in Montana because at the time, you know, Montana was just like this dried up lake bed and out on like the eastern side of the states, it was home to a lot of different dinosaurs, primarily Tyrannosaurus rex. So we've got a lot of really cool history here, and and uh, there's a lot of it. So it's really cool. Now, when we talk about like the the native people that lived in this area, you know, most of these indigenous people um, were nomadic, you know, and and they followed the buffalo herds and other game, 
and they tend to just live by these like seasonal cycles and and they would kind of make their rounds from uh, what is now Canada and down into what is now Montana and what is now North Dakota and so they would kind of just like follow these cycles of wherever the buffalo and these other big game um, were going and, and that's really how they lived out their life and there were several major tribal groups that made their home in and around the land that later became here Montana you know tribes like the Crow and the Assiniboine and the Blackfeet and the Flathead and the Blood Indians and the the, the Kootenai, the Gros Ventry, so many different tribes called Montana their home. And going back to Kyla for a second, you know, before the, the first settlers came to Kyla, this area of the mountains, literally where I'm sitting right now, my neck of the woods, my mountain here, was home to the Pendo Ray tribe. And so this was a native band of Indians that were also nomadic, but tended to hunt in the in the hills that I'm living in right now. So it's a really cool place to be. A lot of cool history here, which I'm still going to share some with you, but uh, just feel grateful to, to be in a land like this. It's, it's absolutely beautiful here. So I think like right now, um, Kyla has a, po <laughs> this is going to sound funny. Kyla has a population of about 392 people. All right. So not very many people. We've got... Oh, what have we got? We've got a school, we've got a post office, we've got a bar or a pub, and we've got a gas station. Although the gas station's kind of like outside the town limits. So <laughs> there's not much here, to be honest with you, just like a lot of country out here. And originally, um, Kyla was homesteaded in like 1892, 1893, somewhere in there. And when the Great Northern Railway came through here, they were looking for routes through the area and laying track down. And, you know, at that time, they originally called Kyla, uh, this, this place was called Sedan, you know, like the car. And then the name was changed after William Kiley filed for a post office in 1901. And at that time, um, the town was actually like formed in 1914 by a man named William Kiley, who the town later renamed to Kyla. So shout out to William Kiley for, you know, making this place official over a hundred years ago. But Rasta Ranch itself is tucked back, um, I would say probably a good 15 minutes from the nearest highway. It's tucked back into the mountains and it sits in this ancient cedar and hemlock forest. And, you know, if you're familiar with cedar and hemlock and, and those types of trees, you know, you, you typically would relate that to uh, areas like Seattle and Northern California. You know, because when you're there, you notice that a lot of those areas tend to have a lot of moisture. You get a lot of rainy season there and they tend to, um, they tend to grow those types of trees there. But you wouldn't necessarily think of Montana as being a wet climate. Well... You know, here, even up in Glacier Park, you have areas, especially like around Avalanche Creek and Avalanche Lake, where those types of trees still exist. You know, it's a rainforest. And at one point, the area that I'm sitting in right now was also a rainforest. You know, it also, it used to just sit under this blanket of wet, moist, cool air that used to circulate from the coastline all the way over to the far eastern side, which would be the area that I'm in now. But, 
as with anything, you know, climate change affects a lot. And that rainforest area has grown smaller and smaller over time. So this is no longer a, a cedar and hemlock forest. You know, what we're finding now is a lot of, um, you know, a lot of fir, a lot of larch, a lot of birch and aspen trees. Well, how do I know, though, that it's, you know, like a, an ancient cedar forest? Well, I mean, if you just take a walk around the property with me here, you're going to notice that there are um, several, several, several dozens of these three to four foot in diameter tree trunks that have just been stumped off, you know, two feet, three feet above the ground. And if you look, you know, they're all cedar and hemlock trees. And so this forest that once was a rainforest, um, you know, this was like three, four hundred years ago. So again, there's a lot of history here and, and history that I don't take lightly and that I want to make sure that I'm preserving and, and upholding in the best way that I can. You know, I bought this property um, in 2016, or excuse me, 2020. Why did I say 2016? 2020. I bought it in March of 2020, right before things got weird. You know what I mean? right before things like really start to get weird and i bought this place from an old rancher named pat conlon old pat conlon and <laughs> and pat conlon was a transplant from chicago he had a, a popcorn business in chicago in the in the 60s and 70s and when he finally wanted to get up and out of the city he chose montana because you know uh, for obvious reasons but because at that time you know, Montana was, was still a, a very Western place. You know, it's still the Wild West. Even out here today, it's still the Wild West. But even more so back then, there was still a lot of land that hadn't really been used in a long time, especially since the Pendere tribe uh, had kind of moved their way out of the area, especially once the Great Northern Railway made their way out of the area, which was, you know, a few decades before uh, before he came here. So once that happened, he bought this land untouched. You know, the whole property that I'm sitting on right now, he, he bought it untouched, meaning that the forest was thick and dense and grown over and it really hadn't been maintained by anybody uh, probably since the Pendere were here in, in the turn of the 19th century. So there really wasn't much done here, but he had this vision of packing up his family and moving to Montana for a different life, a new life, one that, uh, you know, was just different from everything that he had learned in business with his popcorn company. And he, in fact, drove the truck that he would drive around Chicago selling popcorn in. And he moved that truck and he parked it right on the land here. And while he basically created his vision for this place in 19, I believe it was 73, he just made everything uh, come to life. And as he was doing all this, he raised three kids inside of that popcorn trailer, you know, and, and basically this is like a food truck size house that, <laughs> that, he, that he lived in with his wife, with his kids, as he created his Montana dream and built you know, the house that I'm living in today. So it's a really cool story of somebody who has taken uh, just untouched land and, and creating something uh, extraordinary. And 
you know, when I bought the place from him, it, uh, it was an interesting time because I shared that same enthusiasm that he had back in the 70s when he first moved to Montana. But what was interesting about it is by the time that I came into the picture, he was on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. You know, he had gotten old. Uh, he had he had lost that 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 fire, that passion for uh, taking care of his homestead. And he had ultimately just stopped taking care of the place. You know, he just didn't have the energy to do it. And while the house was beautiful, um, you know, nature nature takes itself over time and time again. And we've seen this throughout the course of history, but it never stays the same. It never stays stagnant. And nature is always trying to take over. And that was the definitely the, the case here at Rasta Ranch when I first got here because there were down trees all over this property, uh, dead trees still standing, slash piles everywhere. I mean, the, the, the entire forest floors were, you know, covered in pine cones and sticks and fallen branches. Uh, I remember when I first toured the property with old Pat Conlon, we were ducking and jumping over and going underneath trees that had fallen in the forest. I mean, you, you really just couldn't walk through the trees without having to duck or, you know, it was like an obstacle course in there. And it was just in really poor shape. And when I purchased the property, I, I knew that there was going to be some amount of work here. I knew that there was going to be some level of commitment that I was going to have to make. I knew that the pace that I was on with my current lifestyle was not going to be the same pace if I was to invest in this property and really do what was necessary in order to bring it back to life. And I sat with that for a couple days and, and I really thought long and hard about it. If I'm in a good place to do this, if I'm like really ready to take on this project, um, because this was a massive undertaking and something that I've always known to be true about myself, and, and maybe this is the same for you, is that I really love starting something new. I love everything about it. I, I'm passionate and creative when it comes to doing something new, when it comes to like, to, like undertaking a, a big project. When it's something that I really enjoy, I am like laser focused, all in tunnel vision on making this project work. And I think that that's true for a lot of high performing people. You know, if I think about like the majority of the people that I coach, all of them are like that men, women, it doesn't matter. They're all like that. Even even the one young kid that I coach, same thing. There's a level of focus and determination there that uh, that is just really um, present all the time. So I knew that there was going to be a lot of a lot of work there. And to be honest with you, before <laughs> before even I even had the keys to the place, I was making that 20, 25 minute drive from town where I was living at the time to work on it. You know, like uh, they accepted my offer um, and we closed, you know, like four weeks later. But the minute they accepted my offer, I. I went up to Pat and I said, hey, Pat, you think that I could come down here and just start cleaning up? I just kind of wanted to get a jump on things, you know? And he said, yeah, sure, whatever you want to do, man, come on out. So for those next four weeks, while we were going through the closing process, 
after I would get done training at the gym or working with clients, I'd throw on my Carhartt, so I'd grab my chainsaw, and, you know, I'd head out to old Kyla, Montana, and start whacking the dead trees down or cutting up the brush or, you know, raking up pine cones, whatever it may be. I just started right away on getting this place cleaned up. And, you know, a lot has changed in that amount of time. But some of the, the big things that I got done, uh, you know, that I'm really proud of, I think is, well, number one, I put up a brand new fence all, all along the roadside of the property. Um, this beautiful, like, three-rail fence with a, a big, beautiful log archway that we did. I think that we did, like, 16-foot vertical beams on the archway. Um, real wood here that, that was that was harvested in Montana. I put a beautiful stain on it. So just, like, creating this, like, newfound energy as you're coming from the road, driving under the archway into Rasta Ranch. I mean, it's just it just really sets the tone for the rest of the place. And so, you know, that took a few months to actually get that done um, once I actually acquired the keys to the property. But after that, you know, the place didn't have a, a, a garage or a gym or anything like that. And, you know, my biggest goal, one of my biggest goals since I was 15, 16 years old was to have my own gym. And because now I'm living 25, 30 minutes from town, you know, that's just one less thing I've got to go into town for. And since I go to town a lot to train, I figured, well, why don't I just have one at the house? So I built a gym and I built this, I think it's like 1100 square feet facility where I can now train out of, uh, and it's a hundred yards from my house, not even a ah, hundred feet, actually hundred feet from the house. So the gym went in. And that was a three-month process to get that thing done from start to finish. You know, after that, I parked out all seven acres of the property, soon to be 10 acres. I haven't even started those, those other three yet. But it took me and my dad 12 months, an entire year from start to finish, to get rid of all of the dead trees that were just lying on the ground, to cut down all the dead and standing trees, to rake all the slash piles, to rake all the pine cones, to burn all of the unnecessary stuff so that the trees could breathe, so that the, the forest could start regenerating itself. And what's crazy about all of this is, you know, so much of the forest itself has changed since I got in there and raked it all out. And, and I'm not exaggerating <laughs> at all when I say that I literally took a 14-inch metal rake and I raked up every single bit of these seven acres. I raked up all the sticks, all the pine cones, all the rocks. I literally cleaned the entire forest floor of all seven acres where there were trees. And you would not believe how, how much it changed the landscape of the, of the place. I started seeing new and different species of birds that I had never seen before in the area. I started seeing wildflowers popping up on the forest floor because I had created these pockets of light that could now hit the floor that, you know, prior hadn't hadn't seen light on the ground inside of these trees in, you know, decade or two. So a lot has changed in the area. You know, I revived the lawn too. I'm still in the process of that if I'm being honest with you. I laid a big sprinkler system that goes all the way around 
Uh, I've got like an acre of grass here, so putting that sprinkler system in, having water to it all the time now. I'm watering three times a day for all you, you know, grass nerds out there. 11 minutes three times a day at the moment. I'm about to turn it up to like 15 minutes three times a day because it's about to get super hot in Montana. So uh, holler at me if you have some advice on on uh, creating you know a beautiful lawn because I am all ears on that. Send me a DM because <laughs> I like talking about grass. So yeah, a lot of, lot of big changes that I've made here. Um, but the reason that I share all of that with you, the reason I'm even having this conversation with you is because there's lessons. There's things that I've learned that I can now apply to my life that make me better, that make me a better person, that make me a better uh, human, that, that give me a deeper understanding of the land and give me a deeper sense of responsibility that I have as not only a homeowner, but a landowner. And I think that that's something that a lot of times we we kind of forget. There's responsibility with this. So let's talk about these like, I've kind of narrowed it down to like four lessons, maybe, maybe five, we'll see if we have time. But these big lessons start with number one, just have a project at all times. Number one is just to have a project at all times. I mean, that's something that I feel is just like given me so much peace of mind. You know, I think that this is especially important for creatives and, and high performers because there's a, a high and a low impact effort that goes along with project creation and completion. There's a high and low impact effort. OK, so so let's look at it like this. This is something that I coach to my clients. We have a high impact effort and a low impact effort okay the high impact effort is your career it's the main thing it's the thing that you get up and you go do every single day think of this as like your life's work there's a lot of effort there's a lot of focus there's a lot of energy there's a lot of drive there's a lot of passion and creativity in this area but as a high performing person you must also have a low impact effort you have to balance this out. It's like, it's like yin and yang, black and white. Like there has to be that alpha and omega here. All right. Now the low impact effort is what you get to put your time into when you're not doing that thing, that high impact thing. Does that make sense? The low impact effort is your project. It's that thing. It's, it's, it's when you go into the garage and you get to dink around with your tools or, uh, you know, your woodworking project. You know, some of you have lathes in your garage. Some of you have like a small engine repair that you do on the side. Some of you drive Uber. Some of you DoorDash. Like what I'm trying to say here is have a project at all times. Now, if you don't have property like I do, it's all good. It doesn't need to be that. But for a minute, let's relate it to it. Because if you have a home, chances are you have a yard or you have plants to take care of or there's something there that you can draw on as an example. So so find this. You know, I have a client right now. Her name's Lindsay. Um, right. She you know she was the, uh, the the corporate vice president 
and she was the classic high performer chick you know worked every day all day all night every weekend never had a day off always stressed uh and and she had so much going on all the time but when we figured out that she didn't have a a low impact effort she, she didn't have anything like that in place that was the biggest thing that we focused on right away. And since then, like she's been able to do some really cool stuff. One of them is that she was able to stave off burnout. And then she was promoted to CEO of one of the biggest insurance companies in the world. This is a, a, a big deal. Now, I'm not saying that the only thing that you need to do in order to, to be successful is to have a low impact effort or a side project. But think about this. If all you do is put your time into your high output project, if all you do is grind at that one thing over and over and over, you may get to a point where you're successful, no doubt. But if you're not balancing that out with something that's good for your mind, good for your spirit, well, then we're out of balance. So hear me on this. High performers need a place to decompress and recenter. Because we already know that you're not just going to sit there and do nothing. So you need to be able to find a way to do something that's still going to move you forward, but is also at a low impact so that you can like fully recover and recenter. Okay. So I have another client. His name is Brian Hughes. He's, uh, he's a, a country artist, country musician um, from Nashville, moved to Montana, lives here time to time. Um, but, you know, he had burned himself out. And after our first initial conversations, uh, what I realized is like, wow, this guy, all he does is tour, create music, and perform. That's all he does. Remember, high impact efforts. That's all he was doing. And so what I found is, you know, well, he also doesn't have a low impact effort here. He has no project. He has nothing like that that he's doing. So I encouraged him to finish up this cabin that he was building you know small cabin in the middle of nowhere and he did took some time off built out the cabin finished it and interestingly enough tucked himself in that cabin for a week and ended up writing his whole album inside of it and to date it's been his best-selling record so now think about this for a second the guy's burnt out He's really not enjoying where he's at in his life. He finds a project, completes project, and then ends up writing an entire album in a week, and it becomes his best-selling record. Like, there's, there's no coincidence here. Here's where I'm trying to say. Side projects reignite passion, and you've got to have one too. But this isn't just for your career, but for your own peace of mind to really feel like you're contributing to something bigger than you. You know, I was listening to a, a Joe Rogan podcast the other day, and he said, he said something to the effect of, uh, you know, when you're not doing anything, you feel like shit. And it was such a simple line, but it was so obvious to me that, duh, of course that makes sense. You know, because the easiest way to welcome sadness or depression or unfulfillment in, in your life is to just not be doing things that are moving you or someone or something forward. It's the easiest way. You know, and, and talking about reward systems in humans, one of the biggest reward systems that we have is giving, 
excuse me, hiccuped, is giving back. One of the biggest reward systems that we as humans have is finding ways to give back. You know, because there's like such an intrinsic reward there for us, especially when we have the capacity to give. You ever like, you ever just gave back in a way that you didn't expect anything in return and you just felt good about it? You ever just held a door open for somebody and felt good about it or donated some money or donated some time or went to your kid's school for an hour on Thursdays? You ever done anything like that? Feels good, doesn't it? There's something there. And when we can find ways to give back, when we can find ways to have a project, we can accomplish that. So my encouragement with you today is to find a project. Have a project at all times. All right? So that's my first lesson. Have a project at all times. To give you an idea of what, what, what's on my project list, uh, which are several, um, I got to get this hot tub installation finished. I've restored the entire thing. I just got to get the filter put in. I, I got a new cover on order, and then that's out of my way. But then I got to tackle my fire pit area, all right? So I got to do some dirt work. I got some stumps to remove. I got some flagstone to lay down. I'm going to make that place beautiful. So always have a project. It's really, really important that you do, all right? So that's the first lesson. Now, lesson number two is there's no such thing as a weekend. There's no such thing as a weekend. All right. And, you know, I've been in business now for myself. Uh, well, originally since 2007, but I, I definitely took a break um, and went back to work in a normal job. But from January of 2014 to present day, I have been in my own business. Okay. And what I've learned since then is there's no such thing as a weekend. There is no Saturday and Sunday off anymore. There is no Friday afternoon off anymore. You're the captain of the ship. You're the boss. You're the leader. You are responsible for everything. And that's something else that I've learned, uh, you know, as, as I've, you know, acquired this property and chose to, to do the things that I have with it, is that, you know, Saturday and Sunday those days that we consider to be the weekend that we've been conditioned to just take off, to relax, to just lay back, that doesn't exist now. And I know that some of you may be thinking, well, you know, you should take some time off and relax and, you know, and, and I agree, there's time for that. But if you own property, if you have projects, if you have things that matter to you in your life that need to get done, you can't just clock out Friday and say, well, that's good. just going to have to wait till Monday. If you have 48 hours of unadulterated time where you don't have to do anything, you should choose to do it. You shouldn't put off what can be done today. And that's a lesson that I've learned over and over and over here at the ranch. At all times, and I've already mentioned this today, but at all times, nature is conspiring to take back over. When you mow the lawn, what happens? It immediately starts growing back. When you clean up the forest, it immediately starts growing back. Everything that you just did to manicure your yard or to clean up, it's already conspiring to work against you and you have to stay on top of it because if you don't, you end up like old man Pat Conlon 
and you end up with a place that just gets away from you. And by the time it has and it's overgrown, it's out here looking like the secret garden <laughs> and it's just a freaking mess. Well, there's no such thing as a weekend here, especially if you're a business owner, especially if you're an entrepreneur, a high performing man or woman. There's no such thing as the weekend. It's work seven days a week. It's effort and consistency every single day. If you want to create the body of your life, if you want to be 35, 40, 45, and be in the best shape of your life, there is no Saturday and Sunday off. It's constant grind. It's constant effort. It's constant work and discipline. And the same goes for those that choose to live out here in the sticks like I do. It's the same for people that want to build a six or seven figure business. It's the same for people that just want to do really incredible things in their life. It requires you to work weekends. I feel like I'm driving this one into the ground, but it needs to be said over and over. We need to decondition ourselves to believe that we should only work five days a week and then rest for two. You're losing precious time. And at some point, that time is going to run out. And if you don't take advantage of what you have right now, you're going to lie on your deathbed and you're going to regret all of the time that you chose to sit instead of do. So that's lesson number two. There's no such thing as a weekend. My encouragement to you here would be to start doing more. You have the capacity for it. You have the energy. You have the effort. You have everything you need to do more. You just need to get up and go. All right? Water break. Because even in the shade, I'm sweating my face off right now. Oh, that's good. By the way, that water comes directly out of the creek that runs through the property um, on the lower half of the ranch here. We suck it up through what's called a cistern which is basically like a, a well, kind of. They were popular in the 80s before wells like really became a thing. And it's pumped up to the house right through the faucets, and it is so good, man. Water just comes right from the mountains. It's all snow melt, so it's already freezing cold. Delicious water straight from the earth. Lesson number three. This is a big one stewardship over ownership okay hear me out stewardship over ownership if you have land if you have property of any kind if you have if you have some type of plot i want you to start looking at yourself and your responsibilities as being a steward to the land not just someone who owns land I want you to start seeing yourself not as a landowner, but a land steward. Because there's a big difference here. I mean, there's several differences, but like the biggest difference between a landowner and a land steward is the level of responsibility. I mean, think about it. I could own a car or I could own a, a, a parcel in the forest and I could just let it sit in the garage or I could just like let it sit and do nothing with it. Yeah, I own it. Well, that's great. But I'm not doing shit with it. I'm not doing anything to make it better or to use it to its full potential. 
It's just sitting. And typically, that's what landowners do. But when you become a land steward and you start seeing your property or you start seeing your life through that lens, really cool things start happening. You take on an entirely new layer of discipline, of responsibility to, you know, making sure that that the land sparkles. And I think about this a lot because I'm really connected with the history in Montana to the native people. And even in my own culture with Rastafari, there is a deep spiritual connection to the land, to nature, much like the native people in Montana shared. And what Rastafari and what the native people have in common with the land is that it's in the utmost high regard. And it's treated, um, you know, at very much at the highest level, almost as a deity. So when you become a steward of the land, you, you really take a new level of ownership and responsibility to what you have and to make sure that it's healthy and that it's ecosystems are balanced and that there's harmony between the land and the, the birds and the plants and the animals that come through it. I mean, I, I can't even tell you how many different species of animals I see every single day because I've made this place hospitable to them. It's cleaned up in a way that allowed the turkeys to walk through the trees and the the fawns to to you know be born right here on the property you know there are places that are maybe a couple hundred yards from where i'm sitting right now where the mother deer actually give birth to their babies because it's a protected healthy clean environment and uh, all of that is is available to you once you start to see yourself as a steward of the land. And so I would just encourage you right now, if you do have property or if you do have a, a spot of grass in the backyard or, you know, if you do have some plants or sh trees or shrubs, go out there and take care of them, you know? It's not just for cosmetic purposes, but take some pride in what you have. Take some pride in ownership. Take some responsibility in the land. You know, because it will always pay you back tenfold if you choose to take care of it. So go mow the lawn or, you know, rake rake the leaves or trim the bushes. Whatever you got to do, man, but go get it done. All right. So that's the third lesson since, uh, since I've been out here that has really made a, an impact on my life. Is stewardship over ownership. Responsibility. Ownership. The last and final one here is one that uh, one that I you know still tend to struggle with, um, and I'm speaking this because it's one that I want to be better at, but it's also a good reminder as well. Number four is to understand what completion looks like. This one's tough for me because uh, you know I'm I'm a bit of a perfectionist. I want things to be uh, perfect. If I'm just, you know, speaking freely here, I want them to be beautiful. I want them to be flawless. I want them to be absolutely picture perfect. Why? Because I'm obsessive. And I know, I know that about myself. And sometimes that gets the best of me. And so what I've really got to get clear on whenever I dive into a project, whether it be the outdoors or whether it be the bathroom, you know, because I remodeled, 
our master bathroom as well last November, I've really got to understand what completion looks like with this thing. Because I could drive myself crazy trying to trying to do too much too soon. You know, for example, as I as I get my landscaping done, as I get my, my lawn in order, uh, right now, this second, right this minute, I want it to be PGA quality grass. I want it to be flawless. I want it to, to all be the same type of grass. I want there to be no rocks in the lawn. I want there to be no ant hills. When I drive over this thing, I want to make sure there's zero weeds, zero holes. I want it to be perfect. All right. <laughs> I told you I'm obsessive. You're going to learn this about me if you if you keep listening to the podcast. I promise you. I get way too obsessive over these things. And when I do that, I start to lose uh focus, I start to lose patience, and I start to burn myself out. I would say since acquiring this property 16 months ago, I've been close to burnout twice. And that's because I don't understand what completion looks like because I'll just keep going day and day and day and day and I'll never stop. And within each project that I do, I'll look for a a new way to fix it, to make it better. But the problem with thinking this way is that it doesn't always need to be perfect. Okay. I want it to be perfect, but does it really need to be perfect? Well, no. It doesn't have to be perfect right now. Because for example, if I'm if I'm creating the fire pit area, which I'm about to start here soon, um, does the ground have to be absolutely perfectly level? Eh. It's just a fire pit area. It doesn't have to be. Do I need to have uh, you know, like a certain fire ring around the fire pit to make it great? No, I could just use rocks. I could just put some mulch around the trees that are right next to the fire pit. You know, there are things that I could do that will make it great right now. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I can't change it up down the road. And I think about this to be true with a lot of things that I do in life. Sometimes good enough is just fine. Because that there's always room for improvement. You can always make updates later on down the road. I think about uh, I think about Apple, uh, the iPhone. Do you think that the software engineers that make the iPhone sit around and wait till it's absolutely perfect before launching it? No, absolutely not. They just go ahead and launch it. And what they do is every so often, they st- they release an update for the app. And then you download it, and then it's good to go. So that's something that I want you to keep in mind here is to understand what completion looks like. It's going to save you time. It's going to save you headaches. It's going to save you money. It's going to make everything better for you. So as you're starting a project, just get clear. What is it that needs to happen right now? And when you're done with a project, look at it objectively and and ask yourself, did I accomplish what I set out to do? And a lot of times you probably did. Because when you start to become obsessive, <laughs> like I am out here, you lose time. You lose focus. You lose energy. You lose patience. 
and you end up burning yourself out just like those previous two clients of mine did that I mentioned earlier. Understand what completion looks like. Start the task. Get it done. Evaluate. And make changes as necessary. It's simple. It's just not easy, you know? <laughs> so I hope those were all helpful. I hope some of that stuff landed with you. I hope some of that made sense. Um, remember, you know, there's, there's four big things here that I want you to remember this week. Number one is to have a project at all times. Number two is there's no such thing as a weekend. Number three is stewardship over ownership. And number four, simply just understanding what completion looks like. And I think if you can find ways to parallel those four keys that I've learned here so far at my time at Rasta Ranch, I, I think that there's something there that will make your life better. I really do. My sprinklers are just about to kick on right now. Ah, that's so nice. I'm telling you, it's so nice to have a sprinkler system instead of having to drag one of those sprinklers around an acre of grass and rotating it every 20 minutes. Literally, like one of, hands down, the best investments I've ever made is an automatic sprinkler system. It's a freaking lifesaver, man. So anyhow, those are about to turn on and I know that it's gonna get loud. So as I wrap this up, um, as always, I just want to thank you for being here with me today, for taking the time out of your life to spend it with me, to listen to me talk about Rasta Ranch and everything going on here. It does mean a lot to me. I would encourage you to share this podcast with somebody. If there was something in this episode that landed with you, chances are it's going to land with someone else. So please share the podcast. And if you're on Apple or Spotify, I would encourage you to leave a review and, you know, if you liked it enough and this is your first time being here, stick around, subscribe to it. I release these every Monday and as always, um, thank you again for being here with me. I appreciate you so much. Rastafari. <laughs>